Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I am here with Andrea Denklaw from Iowa Aces 360. Andrea, welcome to Emotion Well. Thank you so much for having me, Johanna. Yeah, it's great to have you on our podcast. And I'm so curious about the topic of adverse childhood experiences. And I want to know more about Iowa Aces 360. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, let our listeners know whatever you'd like them to know about you. And then let's kind of segue right into Iowa Aces 360. Sounds great. Well, I, um, like you mentioned, I'm Andrea Denkla. I'm originally from Iowa, moved in, moved to Kansas City for about 10 years, um, but have been back here for about 10 years. So good to be back. Um, I am a parent. I've got two girls, um, one who just turned 15 and one who is 12. So kind of in that middle school, high school stage right now, a uh, new level of parenting, I'd say. I feel like I have to level up sometimes. Okay, in my good skills. for me to know. I have a six-year-old, yep. so this is good. Okay. For <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I was just talking with someone today about how, you know, you've never parented a 15-year-old or a 17-year-old until you do, right? And then each kid is also different. So you have to kind of switch it up as you go. But uh, anyway, I am also married. My partner travels quite a bit. So I do a lot of the parenting at home. Um, And then, of course, I work at Iowa Aces 360. And I've been in social work for about 20 years working with families, kids, and lots of different capacities. Also, um, Lots of systems change work. So lots of work in the child welfare and juvenile justice systems, as well as homelessness. So those are kind of my three um, areas of focus or maybe my passion areas. But, you know, that oftentimes bleeds into a lot of different areas as well. So, well, thanks for sharing so much about yourself. So Iowa Aces 360, are you Des Moines based? We are. We are a staff of three here in Des Moines, but we are statewide. So we um, try to partner and collaborate with as many folks around the state as possible. All right. So ACES stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, which we'll dive Mm -hmm. into. But give us a little background on Iowa ACES 360, and then we'll talk about Adverse Childhood Experiences. Sure. So um, Iowa ACES 360 used to be a coalition of organizations, and we recently... um, just became its its own 501c3. So about three years ago, I'd say. So really have some focused energy in kind of three areas when we're thinking about prioritizing healing and well-being in our communities, sort of creating those conditions so that all families can thrive. We do advocacy work. So we're, we're talking legislative advocacy, administrative advocacy, systems change as well as education and awareness to ensure that everyone just has a general understanding of what ACEs are and what we can do to prevent and mitigate the impact of ACEs and for all of us to have the opportunity to heal from ACEs and also obviously prevent them as much as possible. Yeah. So Um, I remember when I first started working for Employee and Family Resources, I, I started with with EFR in 2015. And then in 2016, I remember early in the year, I went to a, a full day conference about ACEs. And so that was the first time I had ever heard of ACEs. And I don't know when were ACEs kind of identified? Mm-hmm. How, how far back does this research go? Yeah, that's a good question. So it was really in the mid 1990s um, when that first sort of 
people call it like a landmark study about this term adverse childhood experiences. And it was a couple of doctors that got together and were starting to ask questions of patients. It was a really large study. So asking questions about these sort of seven areas of abuse and kind of what was happening in households, right? If they had witnessed violence between their parents and uh, substance use in the home and parents who were incarcerated. So what we saw or what they saw in that study was the relationship between the number of ACEs that you might have. So let's say you had a a parent who was incarcerated. Also, there's domestic violence in the home. The more ACEs you had, the higher likelihood or risk of long-term negative health impacts. Okay. So there's a lot that can be packed into that. And we can talk a little bit more about what else is in there. But that sort of started that conversation of, of ACEs in a major way. I'd say people in the field who are working with families who maybe have been struggling probably understood sort of that impact, but maybe weren't able to to talk about it in the way that we can now and really have that direct correlation or direct relationship. And since the 90s, though, we've had a lot more research about what adverse childhood experiences look like. So even the CDC now has sort of added a couple of categories. So neglect would now be included as far as the CDC is concerned. Um, Things like divorce and other places will add things like homelessness. But what's really important to remember is that while those things are absolutely important and a good part of the conversation, what we really need to consider are those adversities that happen beyond the household, right? So um, things that are happening in communities and in our societies, such as community violence and racism and the impacts of oppression and discrimination on on young kids growing up, um, and sort of those roots of, of some of those more household issues that we've been talking about. So kind of broadening over time, broadening what our understanding is of those impacts um, and how that can impact our long-term health and development and well-being. Yeah, I took the quiz before we jumped on to record this and I went to the CDC website to do that. And I think there were 10 questions, if I recall Mm -hmm. correctly. Sure. And yeah, it did feel very focused on what was happening within the home or within the family of origin. Mm -hmm. But I like how you, you know, mentioned that it is also your, your community and what's happening Mm -hmm. around you culturally and, you know, with people that you can, you know, that you connect with and can relate to. Can we just go through what those ACEs are? Or if you want me to, I can pull up the quiz. Yeah. Let's just, um, if if you don't mind, I'm going to just pull up the quiz and I'm just going to go through it because I think for our listeners, if they can hear these questions and kind of in their head as they're listening, go, uh-huh, uh-huh, no, no, it might help them connect. So so if I, if I could, just a, a quick thing about the questionnaire. Yeah. Um, it can be a really helpful tool to help individuals understand their experience. And what I would just say is I think it could be a good first step for folks and okay. sort of thinking about, but it also can be limiting because it doesn't incorporate right. those additional um, sort of more of that holistic look at what kids or families are experiencing. So just sort of that caveat, Okay, it may be a good starting point, but just to consider that, that there might be more going on. Um, and then we also have to consider the impact of each of these as well. So Right. And also, is there generally one go-to quiz or are there different versions of the quiz? Mm-hmm. Do you, you know, do you know? Um... So there are different versions and I don't specifically work in that, um, that piece as much as um, 
some of our other folks that work with us. You took the one from Harvard. Is that what you, what you mentioned earlier? Well, I'm actually on the American Society for the Positive Care of Children website. That's the one that comes okay. up initially. Sure. Um, it's a .org. So I'm going to go through this one. And, yeah, let's give and, it a shot. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> um, question one, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down, humiliate you, or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? Did a parent or other adult in your household often or very often push, grab, slap, or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever uh, sexually um, assault you? Did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other or support each other? Uh, did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? Were your parents ever separated or divorced? Was your parent or caregiver often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at him or her, or kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard, or repeatedly um, threatened with a gun or a knife? Did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Was a household member depressed or mentally ill, or did a household member attempt suicide, and did a household member go to prison? So that one does address the incarceration. And yeah, and so I'll link to that particular quiz in the show notes. But when you go to um, other websites, it talks about abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. But you're right, it's missing that kind of community um, Mm -hmm. dysfunction and and community influence. So tell us a little bit about that, because I'm interested to learn more about how the community can influence the experiences young children have and how those can either be adverse childhood experiences, or I always like to think of the flip side, which I believe is called benevolent childhood experiences, right? The positive Mm -hmm. things that can happen and the positive Mm -hmm. influences that you can have. So Talk to us about maybe some common misconceptions regarding ACEs um, and how mm-hmm. that community influence can make someone look at them differently than just taking that quiz. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, well, one, I, I really like you know bringing up the relationship piece because one of the misconceptions that that I think could be out there is that um, ACEs are just as part of our our life, right? Like they're just going to happen, um, and we can prevent them. So I think we have to really consider what what's possible um, in thinking about how, um, and we talk about those societal or community aspects, which we might consider sort of the roots of ACEs at times. How when we really focus on you know creating better family leave policies, let's say, to ensure that moms don't have the stress, right? So it's all of these kind of domino impacts that. Um, create those safe, nurturing spaces, not only for kiddo, but also for the parent, right? Yeah. So that they can parent the way that they really want to, right? Mm-hmm. If they have the economic support, um, so they can maintain um, their living, their home, right? In a way that makes them feel um, safe and cared for and gives, um, you know, we know that money and that having the economic means to um, support your family reduces stress, but also c- takes care of those basic needs. Absolutely. Um, and, and stress plays such a factor in some of those questions that you were talking about, right? Like with neglect and mm. with physical um, abuse. So really considering what, how do we set that up, right, in our communities? How do we set up our, um, our policies and our local... Um, sort of decisions to really be focused on that p- 
positive, nurturing family unit in ways that they can feel safe and thrive so that families can then provide the spaces for their kids. So it's a kind of that, that domino impact, Absolutely. I'd say. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about in the workplace because at EFR, we're you know, very focused on helping people thrive um, mm-hmm. in life, you know, whether it's in the workplace or outside the workplace. But it is really challenging. You know, there's a childcare crisis. There's not enough mm-hmm. childcare providers uh, for people who have young kids who are not yet school age. And then once yeah. your children are in school, there's before and after care considerations. And it's very mm-hmm. challenging to find providers. It's very challenging to afford um, the cost of what some childcare um, centers are asking you to pay, or there's wait lists for after school care. And I'm just thinking about from an employer group perspective, if it really takes kind of a village, so to speak, like you've got your mm-hmm. community, you've got your family, you've got your workplace. I'm just thinking, you know, if employers, you know, can kind of consider how to support their team members who are working parents and how to, you know, leverage those individuals' talents. Um, so that they can perform well for their organization, but also be a good mom, a good dad. And I'm saying good with air quotes, right? Because it's sure. it's about, about you know being able to feel like you can do both work and have that family. Um, I think that, I mean, one misconception I had before we started talking is that it was really just about those three categories, abuse, neglect, and the household dysfunction. And so like when I look at that list, a lot of it is like, a lot of it is like, Oh shoot! You know, um, I can I can identify with maybe two or three of those. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of put yourself in you put yourself in a box, and you're like, "Well, I have aces, right?" Right, right. And, but like to your point, uh, we can prevent them, mm-hmm. but it's probably going to be more through systemic changes, right, than it is at that individual family level. Yes. And so you bring up another really important point about the misconception. Um, and this, we talk a lot with young people involved in the child welfare and juvenile justice systems and, and some of the messages that they get, especially early on when, when all this research started was, okay, you have ACEs and now you're more likely to have health issues. Hey, done. And that cannot be our story, right? Hey. So we are more than our trauma. We are more than our experiences. And it is much more important for us. While we have to absolutely acknowledge what is the harm that's being caused, right? So that we can get to the roots and figure out how to prevent. What's much more important is to really um, help young people see beyond those experiences to what's right with them, right? What are your aspirations? What um, What's your agency and your control in what happens next, right? Um, and really building upon the strengths that they have and really thinking more holistically as opposed to just sort of a, a small intervention or um, a program to address ACEs, but really that whole youth development aspect. And then again, bubbling out to community, right, and society to to make sure we're creating those conditions that, that we can actually support young people and that, that parents can can do that as well. Absolutely. So it's complex, but yeah. at the same time, it is really thinking, how do we best support our kids and families, you know? And it's through those, re- those nurturing relationships, it's through those policies and um, sort of protections that we have um, and that we can create. So 
It's interesting because last spring we had a couple of individuals, Abby and Greg from Prevent Child Abuse Iowa on, and their message mm-hmm. was very similar. It's about how do you support families and children, right? Yep. It's Absolutely. about the support that they need to prevent child abuse right? versus it's happened and now what? And Absolutely. So, and really with, you know, with, with health and well-being, it is prevention, right? But we often mm-hmm. kind of fall into the reactionary, well, now we have this, so what do we do? And right. sometimes you label yourself as as whatever it is that um, maybe you have, whether you have three ACEs or you have a chronic health condition, you don't think about the other side of it that mm-hmm. maybe you have some hat, maybe you have had some circumstances in your life that have been adverse, but that doesn't limit you from moving beyond those circumstances. Right. Right. Um, share a little bit about what Iowa ACEs 360 is doing to kind of support the things that you've you've been sharing in terms of programming or mm-hmm. awareness. How do you reach people and, and what kind of services do you provide? Yeah. Um, thank you for asking that because I get really excited about what we're doing um, sort of in our systems and institutions. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I'm working on right now is called um, trauma-informed supervision. And I'm working with um, the child welfare and juvenile justice systems to really think about how, one, like you mentioned before, how do we best support the workforce mm-hmm. um, in this really difficult, these really difficult jobs that they do every single day, right? So looking at secondary traumatic stress and ways of healing and managing um, the work that they do. Then also secondarily, what does this look like for our kids and families that we work with, right? So we know um, the impact. What does that mean? How do we, how does it show up in their behavior potentially? Then how might that show up in our case plans when we work with them? If I know that a young person is witnessing community violence, um, has a parent in the home who's been incarcerated. What does that mean for them? And how do how does it help maybe explain some of the ways that they are coping in the world right. and then how I can best show up for them and with them? Um, and then institutionally, which is probably the most exciting thing for me, um, is to think about how does that change the way we create policies and practices so that they are more healing-centered and trauma-informed. So it can look anything like what is what does it look like at juvenile detention, right? When we when they come in, do they get an opportunity to talk with someone about what they've experienced? Do they get their own clothes? Do they all those things that range from that individual agency to to healing, right? So there's lots of opportunities um, in those spaces to think through how do we just more compassionately try to understand what young people are experiencing and then be those supportive adults that they need to to figure out what the world looks like for them now and what supports they may need going forward. So, and not only for the young people, but then again, for the, for the adults in those systems, how, how do we help them really um, navigate what this means for them and what is their role in making sure that they can be those supportive adults for kids? And when you have the opportunity to spend time with these kids and maybe their parents and and learn more about them and their circumstances, do you feel like sometimes this is the first opportunity they've had in their life for someone to really kind of care and nurture for them in a way that meets them where they are versus tries to get them on mm-hmm. whatever path is ideal, so to say, so to speak? Yeah. Well, I I typically work with the the providers in the organization. Okay. Like, so. So I'm not working directly with families right now. Um, But I do know that when I talk with folks in the juvenile justice system or in child welfare, 
um, they often feel the sense that the sense of responsibility, right? That they want to be there um, for families to be able to connect with them um, and to really be that support. And um, it's just sometimes it's so limiting with the amount of time that they have um, or even the ability to, to, to take on all of that um, that families are experiencing that causes quite a bit of stress as well. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. We'll link to Iowa mm-hmm. Aces 360 in our show notes so people can go over to your website oh, sure. and learn more. Um, I did want to just touch on what are considered positive childhood experiences since we're mm-hmm. talking about it. First childhood experiences, I did find some things online about positive childhood experiences. And those would be ability to talk with family about feelings, felt experience that family is supportive in difficult times, enjoyment and participation in community traditions feeling of belonging in high school, feeling of being supported by friends, and having at least uh, two non-parent adults who genuinely care and feeling mm-hmm. safe and protected by an adult at home. Mm-hmm. So I think that the having two non-parent adults who genuinely care for you is really important and sometimes overlooked as, as how mm-hmm. critical those relationships can be. So it can be you know, um, a coach, a mentor, a neighbor, a grandparent, an aunt or an uncle. Um, Absolutely. And, and so I think just like you said, it's, it's important to look at both sides, right? Not just the adversities that someone, you know, may mm-hmm. face throughout life or in a, in a lot of circumstances, they're born with, with adversity, right? You know, depending right. on what's going on within the home and the community, but looking at the whole picture. What would you share with someone who's listening and, and they might be, you know, listening to the quiz that we just um, went through and they might think, oh man, you know, I've got a lot of these mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as an adult. Um, because yeah. I think oftentimes we think about them as, as the children that we're raising, but what if, what if it's an adult going, oh yeah, yep, yep. And then mm-hmm. what would be some words of advice that you would share with that person as an adult? Um, yeah. Kind I, of I'm so glad you asked that. Yes, because I think well, the first thing to do is is acknowledge, right? And and maybe sit with that for a minute, um, especially if it's not something you have considered or um, just might be a new space that you're willing to consider, right? right. Um, because it can feel um, a range of emotions, right? Of um, anger, shame, sadness, all the things that that might make you feel like, oh man, that that hits, right? Um, so just sit with it and then consider the impact, right? Start noticing where you might see that show up for you. So a good example is if you are a parent and you notice that the way that you're parenting either mirrors or um, maybe you you do something totally opposite and you didn't even realize, right, from your from your own experience, but you do yes. something totally opposite. Um, from the way that you were raised because um, it was an adversity for you or something that that caused you harm or pain. And so you're like, nope, I'm not going to let that happen. So sometimes we go go opposite, right? And go yeah. overboard. Um, so just noticing where that might be occurring for you and then really just thinking about what do I want to do with that, right? We, I've done some work in what's called healing-centered engagement. And there are these four pivots to healing. And one of those is looking in the mirror and really considering, you know, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? And it is kind of confronting those things that maybe have been harmful to us um, and how we heal from them. So start considering after you're noticing, start considering where you want to heal and what, what it would take to help you heal from that, whether it's 
having a conversation with someone about what you've experienced, and that could be therapy or um, other other things that make you feel um, good and and you find joy in, or it's it may just be doing some self reflection and just really considering and doing some journaling and thinking this is how this has impacted me or thinking through with with a sibling or someone maybe what has what they've experienced and if that's been similar at all as well but really taking some some little steps in the beginning to really consider what occurred and maybe how that impacted you you know divorce is kind of one of those that that's on the list mm-hmm. um that it has, you know, people are impacted in all kinds of different ways, right? You know, I'm from a divorced family and it's not something it, that occurred to me really as being an ace because I was four years old, right? Yeah. But when you actually, yeah, me, when you consider three. it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you consider that, it's like, like, it probably did. I just haven't really thought through it, right? right. I yeah. haven't considered maybe... Um, some of those other things. And, and does that matter for me now? Of course, right? Because it's not just about, you know, memory, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's biology too. Um, and the ways that we sort of see the world, but really kind of just taking some stock of what that means for you and then what you want to do with that. So, um, it's a process. I, I'd say give yourself grace, um, and really think about what you want to do with it. And it's never too late to start thinking about it, right? You know, I think absolutely sometimes people move through life and and for whatever reason, denial, avoidance, discomfort, mm-hmm. they don't want to face the things that have been um, hurtful to them or that have caused mm-hmm. challenges in their life. But it's never too late. You know, right. you can be an 80-year-old listening to this podcast and you could start to do some of that, that self-reflection right. and, and you... I would imagine you would find benefit in it. So I think that's important too. And just like anything with health and wellness, I think sometimes people reach a point where they feel like it's, they're too far down the road to really start making changes or to look Mm -hmm. back and start Mm -hmm. making different choices. But it's in my opinion, never too late for any kind of course correction as it relates to your health and well-being. It can be you know, related to, you know, diet and exercise or can be related to your mental and emotional health. So um, I I really like some of the ideas that you shared there for people to consider. And then also, if you're listening and have EFR's EAP benefits, you have access to life coaching and counseling sessions. So you can always call the 800-327-4692 number to get connected with those services. Um, It is hard to navigate um, you know, finding a counselor on your own. So using an EAP benefit mm-hmm. is a great way to make one phone call, get set up with some sessions and start working through anything in your life that you're interested in addressing or improving. And I think, you know, if if it's related to adverse childhood experiences, or if you want to kind of reframe your your thought processes around the experiences that you've had in your life, I think using your EAP benefit could be a great way to do that. Um, anything you want to leave us with, Andrea, as it relates to Iowa Aces 360 or this topic? You know, I just would reiterate the the opportunity for healing um, and, and that we are not defined by uh, just our experiences, but also our negative experiences, but really by um, the people we have in our lives and the opportunity to, to shape how to move forward. Um, and I think you put it really well. You know, this is, um, it's, you're not predestined, right? Um, you, your number of ACEs does not have to mean that you um, develop disease and unhealth impact. 
Um, but we do have some responsibility to make that acknowledgement um, and to try to to work towards healing, and then also for our for our kids and our grandkids and yeah. everyone that comes comes after us. So, um, and the absolute importance of relationships, finding people who um, provide that safety, provide that compassion for you and that space to validate your experience is so important. And just finding the joy and laughter in everyday life, we know. You know, that old saying that laughter is the best medicine. I mean, really, you know, it really, it really is. So finding that joy um, and just, just considering, right. Considering and noticing um, where we have opportunities for healing. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. We'll link to your organization's website in our show notes. And again, if anyone's listening and wanting to use their EAP benefits, I'll also link to information about those in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunlevy and produced by Casey Johnson. 